Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with another episode of the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity really just to exchange stories with other business entrepreneurial leaders and influencers here. So today's guest with me is Mark Ainley with GC Reality, or GC Realty, <laughs> Reality and Realty, close enough, GC Realty out of Chicago. So Mark, first off, thanks for taking a bit of your time out here to join us and share some expertise. Well, I, I did do a reality show once, uh, so reality did fit into my uh, bio at one point. But uh, yeah, thank you for having me. You know, I, I love your show. I, I love what you're doing here for other entrepreneurs. So it's exciting to be part of that. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's it's always just fun hearing stories kind of thing. We were talking beforehand, and it's just just a conversation about business, and everybody's got their own slant, their own story as to how they got into it. So, I guess kind of lead that way in. Tell us a, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your your story here. You know, I went to, you know, I'm, uh, you know, out of Chicago. We currently have a property management slash uh, brokerage, uh, real estate brokerage company. Our focus is on real estate and uh, investing when it comes to both sides, obviously, with the property management uh, and uh, and the brokerage. But we started back in 2003. And I'll tell you this, uh, you know, we started the business with one idea and went four or five different directions before we kind of found ourselves to where we're at today. You know, we actually started off wanting to be a industrial brokerage company. And then uh, the first listing we got was like a luxury home. And uh, we actually sold both sides of that, that deal for any real estate uh, uh, agents out there. We had dual agency and our first commission was like 55,000. So we're like, wow, we're in the luxury home business. We never had a listing, luxury home listing ever again. Um, and then we <laughs> went into, uh, you know, just a lot more investment side of things. You know, back then five, uh, six, seven, you know, a lot of invest, a lot of people were getting into or, or trying to be real estate investors. So we worked a lot with investors. We worked a lot with investors, helping them find a property. Uh, we'd rehab it for them and then we sell it for them. So we kind of made money every step of the way. Um, and that's kind of how we learned a lot about uh, the real estate flipping business and, and uh, rehabs and, and so forth. So, you know, it wasn't until probably, you know, my, my partner now jokes around me that I used to stand up at like a networking group and be like, when, when I'm giving my elevator pitch, I would say, uh, we'll do this, we'll do that. And we'll change your oil on the weekends. Like, <laughs> like we, we tried to do anything. And that was important for us in 2008, 9, 10, when kind of the market came to a halt, we were able to kind of pivot. Um, you know, we, because we were doing, able to be flexible, do a little bit of anything, we were able to still make it through the downturn. But uh, it was still 2013, 14, where it's like, wow, we actually have a property management company here. Like, and uh, we actually need a process <laughs> and we need some uh, policies and we need, you need to put some organization in place. So, um, and ever since then, we've been uh, growing ourselves as a property management company, and it's been exciting. Yeah, it's interesting here because I, a lot of times you hear like the, the business coaches or whatever always come out and say, well, you got to find your niche and make sure you focus exactly on your niche, put all your resources there. But the reality is I hear a lot more stories like yours where it's like, okay, we effectively came out of the gate aiming for anything and everything, anybody that gives us some money at that point, kind of a thing, any deal. And yeah. the niche almost kind of finds you. Has that been kind of, kind of your expertise there or experience? Yeah, hundred percent. And the one exciting thing about real estate in general is that there's so many different ways to make money, um, and it can branch into the, the the actual rehab side or kind of structure piece, or it could branch into the marketing at the sales side, or or, or 
even consulting even there's a lot of real estate consulting out there so there's so many different things you can do and uh you know it took us a while but we actually found what our niche is yeah well that's it's interesting that it kind of because i've been in the same experience it's like okay i'm not quite sure most industries are like that it's like there's so many different fragments within the industry you can go hit it's like okay where do i start but it tends to tends to kind of find you and it's it's those weird ones like you said with the the luxury home there's like okay is this really the right place or not and it turns off to be a, a one-off thing well I think what helped us, so even a step further into what you're saying is I think we found a need in the market. So, you know, you have a million rental properties here in Chicago and, uh, you know, biggest property manager we know maybe has 20,000 doors. And so there, not only is there room in our space to, to grow, um, but at the same time, you know, I, I hear people complaining every day about how horrible the property managers are like, oh, wow, well, you know, we're actually doing it. We're doing a pretty good job and we're not getting those complaints. So, We've, we found the need in the market and in, in, in that niche to actually see where there could be expansive growth uh, in the future. No, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's, that's really a case of most of the time there's some sort of need or some sort of problem, something that most businesses address at that point. Most of us don't go into business just for saying, hey, we're going to go create a business and then figure out what in the heck we're going to do. It's, it's usually a, a need or a, an idea or something like that for us to go into it. So what was the I guess back that up. What what was what was your history before the the property management company? Was this first entrepreneurial venture or is this third or fourth? Yeah, so I was. This was probably my first. Uh, I mean, I did a whole bunch of entrepreneurial things. I mean, from a young age, baseball cards, selling golf balls, uh, you know, fake purses, whatever. We always were trying to find a way to to hustle and and uh, kind of make uh, make some money in sense. Hustle in a good way. That's a lot of connotation, <laughs> but kind of. Just, just make money and trying to get ahead. I, I, my family wasn't, uh, it wasn't wealthy uh, by any stretch of the, the word, and uh, so I was always just wanting to uh, to uh, earn money and, and create opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I got out of college um, and I got my real estate license. But I was working in, uh, you know, I started in college at a job at a trucking company and kind of worked my way up to uh, middle level mid level management. And I thought at some point in there I wanted to be a CEO that ran a company, but as you know, I think it was uh, really the dot-com boom in 99 and 2000 that said, you know what, the corporate world sucks when things are not going good and, and, and uh, crap flows downhill. And I said, you know what, and I saw like the politics behind it. I'm like, I do not like this. So I, I got my real estate license not long after that. And uh, I said, you know, maybe kind of working on my own and being my own boss is something that uh, we'll enjoy. Now, I didn't realize how many other uh, uh things you have to do as being your own boss and, and accountability and, and actually trying to grow a business and what growing a business even is. Uh, but uh, I, I realized at a young age that I probably didn't want to work in, in the corporate world like that, like I originally thought I did. Yeah, no, it's, I was, it was interesting. I just actually, the last episode, I was talking with somebody who's like, yeah, it's, we've, we, most entrepreneurs have got our, our lane of expertise. We're going to go be an insurance. We're going to go be a realtor. We're going to be whatever. And then realize, oh, there's a whole lot more to this than just just realty, a realtor right there. It's a, or a lot more than just signing policies and insurance. I've got to go do sales and marketing. I've got to collect on the back end, do finance and all this other stuff, manage people as you're, as you've grown kind of a thing here. It, it changes your focus for sure. So I'm curious, did you, where did the meeting of the partner and, and starting the, the new venture come into play? Well, yeah. So you, you hit it on your head, the head with the managing people, you know, most people get into business because they're, they're good at anything. I'll reference uh, E-Myth there. And yeah. Uh, you know, they're good at doing something, but you know, for me, I know I wasn't good at managing people. And later on, it took me many years to be able to work my way out of that or work in a new partner that actually was good at that. So, but we, you know, we took a bunch of different turns, you know, so we had, um, I have my current partner now, I actually have two partners, but my current partner came into play in 2006. 
Um, my, I originally founded GC Realty with my with my best friend. I grew up with. He was killed in a car accident, and then uh, horrible scenario. But uh, um, I learned buy sell agreements uh, as far as uh, owning a business at a pretty young age. At that point, but uh, my new partner, uh, who's already kind of coming to the business in real estate, uh, started working with me right there in 2006. You know, again, me and him are a lot alike in the uh, in the uh, you know just hustling and, and working and, and figuring out different ways, going where the money's at, right? And yep. And that's, I guess, some uh, early uh, advice that uh, I, I learned looking back is, you know, understanding what partners look like and, and, uh, and complementing partners. So when you have two partners there, just kind of go get it. We'll figure it out later type mentality. Uh, it's hard to ever really figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we then, uh, you know, in 16, you know, actually, actually take it back a little in 2014, we started doing some uh, real estate investing with a, a third partner. And little by little, I always tell this joke, you know, he was always kind of giving us uh, really good advice on how to run the management company. And it took a few years, but ultimately we brought him in on the, the management side to be a partner in GC Realty fully. So now he runs uh, operations. My other partner, he runs the, the brokerage uh, commercial side of things. And then I run marketing and, and new business. But uh, the partners kind of, you know, in there, we had another partner that we had a falling out with as well too early on that uh, that's a whole another lesson learned as well. <laughs> now partners tend to be, Lessons learned on all kinds of fronts at that point right there. There's a lot of getting the right one and making sure it's the right fit and the complimentary fit and stuff like that. And then, yeah, like you said, the buy-sell agreements. And there's just, there's so much going into going into business with somebody else, basically. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's a whole other aspect of outside of your lane of expertise that you, you got into this with a realtor license, not necessarily to <laughs> look at legal agreements and partnership agreements and things like that. Exactly. So what's been the, you mentioned people issues and stuff like that, or managing people. You're, I think you said up to 44 team members now. So a bit of a transition from, from yourself and your own license to now managing 44. What's been the, what's been the change in your role look like, or how's, how's that transition run? Yeah. So today we have 44 employees. Uh, we have another, I think, 21 licensed real estate agents that work on the broker side, but you know, we went through a period where, um, Hiring is so crucial, right? And one thing that we did wrong was we never hired soon enough. So we were always hiring six months too late and rushing the process. So it's like, and hiring just back then as well too was like, oh my gosh, I like you. I can see myself working with you and I can see myself having a beer with you. You're hired. And not, and not understanding the uh, right right seat on the bus or right fit for the seat on the bus or any of that, that those concepts that uh, we now practice now. But we're one, we're always six months too late. So we rushed the process. And two, we never really uh, took the interview process serious. So what we ended up with was a bunch of buddies working with us. And now you take a bunch of buddies with a lack of systems or process. Now you run into what we called, uh, we, in hindsight, we call it the, the hub and spoke model where me and Brian, my partner, were in the middle. And the other, you know, we got to about 11, 12 employees like this where every decision came to us. Um, and, uh, you know, we never documented any process early on. We'd never did anything. So it was hard where, you know, we, we call them go for it and go for this, go for that. We're really... Everybody in the organization um, was, was just simply working off of our actions. And that was definitely not scalable at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding, you know, you know, pretty much of all those 11 people that we originally started with, you know, I, I think there's only one or two that are really left. Um, but one by one, as we kind of converted to more of a culture of process and, and uh, systems and all that stuff, you know, it, they weren't the right fit. <laughs> um, and, and they kind of self-selected themselves. Most of them kind of left like, Hey, they, they, they were great people that they, they helped us get to where we're at to a certain point, but they just weren't wanting to take it to the next level at that point. So 
we have a totally different process now and how we handle a lot of uh, that hiring and bringing people into the culture. You know, now when you get so many, get to a certain point, and I think at any point, culture ends up being such a big uh, part of the conversation is uh, just make sure you're bringing the right people into the rest. So the rest of the people are happy with who you bring in. So there's a lot of responsibility as business owner, I think is that on that side of things. Yeah, it's interesting. It's actually one of the tools that I work with clients on is, is a mapping. It comes actually out of the top grading system, but it's mapping both cultural fit and productivity fit because it's it's the the whole A player model kind of a thing there that if you get real great uh, cultural fit, not the productivity fit, i.e. The, the, the processes, stuff like that, they're great to be around the water cooler with, great to go hang out with after work but you're not getting a thing done kind of a thing at that point. It's like, okay, we've got to, we're in business here to make money at that point. We're not here to run a social club kind of a thing. So it's that what's categorized in that model is the, the B players at that point that they're fun, but we got to get some work done too. Well, I think it was, uh, I maybe call it 2016, 17, where I walked through the office one day, you know, I think we made about 20, 22 people at that point. And, uh, looked around. I'm like, man, if I was in the interview, at, at that point, they took interviewing away from me uh, for obvious reason. But uh, <laughs> at the, if, if I was interviewing any of these people, like I probably would not like think I, I'd be able to get along with them or, or whatnot. It's just, we're not people that, that uh, would have been, we originally hired. Now don't get me wrong. Almost all those people are still here <laughs> and for the right reasons. But uh, yeah. I realized how off I was on the hiring process uh, at that point where it's like, holy cow, like, I don't think any of these people I would have hired, but they are the right people I should be hiring. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. So I'm curious, what kind of, can you dive into that anymore in terms of the, the process for hiring? Because most people don't look at it as a process. They look at it as just, like you said, hey, we had a good conversation. You check a few boxes on the, the skills chart on the resume, you're hired kind of a thing there. So what's what, what does that look like differently for you now that you've gone through some of the bumps with that? Yeah. So a lot of what we started doing um, about four years ago, we started using, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the culture index. And then we moved to predictive index uh, last year or the year before. But, uh, you know, we've been starting to use uh, uh, um, that as a tool for at least identifying, uh, you know, people uh, really what, what their strengths are. Are they really about details? Do they really need uh, more explanation? Are they quick starts? Uh, are they really heavy on details? Are they low on details? And we actually used uh, um these charts for our existing employees. So we started understanding our strengths and weaknesses within the office as well, too. And, and you know, it's like, all right, if I deliver this to Susie, um, you know, she's a low D and we can talk more about that, but she's a low on, it's not good, good at details. So I got to make sure that she's going to follow through and get this done. Or if I'm going to deliver it to somebody that's uh, um, uh, high C, I, I know that they're going to have, uh, they're going to need, they're going to have a lot more questions uh, about, uh, they're not going to be able to just run with it. So a lot of uh, what predictive index did for us helped us kind of find more of the right uh, fit for specific roles. Um, in it. And that's been a big player. And for us in the hiring process, you know, you put your ads out, you put all your Indeed, your different places, but we have people then take the survey, the predictive index survey first to help. And for to clarify a little, you know, this is kind of, I always explain it, it's kind of like disc uh, profile on steroids, I guess. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you might have a different opinion on that, but uh, that, that's kind of what's helped us at least frame up some of the right fit or at least eliminate some of the people that are way off for, if we need someone that with in, 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 an assistant in, in finance, it's got really need, you need details, right? And they can't have a low D in, in that department. So, you know, you, you weed out 80% of those people that might apply for that. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's, it is very comparable from a disc standpoint, I guess my history with disc, it's great tool, but it's more, you almost have to keep taking disc over and over that your personality changes based upon your situation, life, things like that. So your disc can actually change. I know mine's changed a fair amount over the years, kind of a thing, but 
predictive index and cultural index both are they seem to be a little bit more accurate of what's the true the true foundation what's your what's your true personality kind of a thing there that's not necessarily tied as close to current life situation but the other part i like about it and you kind of mentioned there is that you can basically write the profile or create the profile for the role for the job as well and then basically do a comparison to say okay yeah, this person, because there's not necessarily a, with predictive index, there's not necessarily a wrong personality or anything, but it's like you said, right person, right seat, make sure that, okay, we're hiring for this seat in accounting, therefore, make sure you're detail-oriented, make sure you you have the characteristics or whatever there out of your cultural index that, that matches that. So yeah, I've seen a lot more people using that one, a lot more companies using that, and it's a really incredible tool to, on one hand, make you think about, okay, what does this role require? And then on the other hand, really give you that that true data to sit there and map it rather than just my gut feel of what they said at the interview. Yeah, yeah. And, and for us, you know, and you could contest this probably, the people that are not the right fit for a position, they obviously, they'll, they'll either struggle, whether it be culture, they'll struggle maybe on the job details, or because they're struggling on the job, they end up struggling culturally. And then uh, ultimately, they end up uh, not working out in the long run anyways, which, you know, the the uh, not making a good hire or bad hire, the costs or the, the holdback on really a company's growth. I mean, there's huge numbers when it comes to that. So trying to hit it, get it right the first or second time with a particular position is, is huge for a company's scalability and how quick it happens. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I do have people complain because the top grading uh, methodology, top grading system is fairly detailed in terms of the number of interviews, the length of interviews, everything goes into it. And a lot of times I'll have people look at that and say, there's just way too much time involved in an interview process. It's like, yeah, but look at the cost involved in, like you said, making the wrong hire, making the wrong wrong decision at that point. Yeah. Well, like I said before, you know, our interview process is like, oh, man, you're cool. Yeah, and we need this business really bad because we're six months behind. And, and uh, all, all those people just cost our company's growth so much. And they're not bad people. It was us as leaders that, that really messed that process up. Um, so um, and, and I think we have a role as uh, business owners, CEOs, to kind of put the right people in the right seats for, you know, and then the day we're, we're providing uh, a lifestyle or a career for people and uh, making sure that they're happy in their lifestyle and career. I think I carry that as a large burden on my shoulders, I think, um, as far as being responsible. for. Well, there's there's definitely validity to it because it's on one hand, yeah, you're out serving your customers, but at the same time, as the CEO, as the leader, and that's kind of the transition I see a lot of entrepreneurs almost kind of struggle with because you go from just being you to wait a minute now I'm I'm a parent over all these all these employees here and I know a thing there and there's there's a lot more responsibility to that and setting up like I said setting up the culture setting up things to, to make it a good environment for them and, and there's a lot of uh, stuff I've read out there along the lines of and, and I believe this is uh, you know if you take care of your employees or the right employees and you take care of the employees and you train them and you put all your effort into them then ultimately your customer or customers or different uh, segments of, of your business, those will those things will just happen then at that point because you have the right person with the right training, with the right attitude, that's happy in life, that's happy in their position. All those things are just going to kind of flow downhill. So in a good way. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. And it's it's from that kind of mentality, it's, it's really hard to have a better salesperson or a better representative of the company there than somebody that honestly loves their job and loves the, the mission of the company. It's like, that's that's perfect voice right there that you'd want for sure yeah and there's a dichotomy too it could go the opposite way if you if you're if you do that so and i've been down that road too so <laughs> i know we don't be perfect with that oh yeah no it's it's a learning journey for sure so with that idea of the journey into it how have, how has your kind of culture evolved or gotten created at that point i know you were talking about culture and defining the right people kind of a thing how has that 
come into play? Because I'm assuming you probably didn't jump out day one and say, okay, here's our culture, here's our our values and things like that right off the bat. I'm assuming that was kind of evolved. Yeah, it did. And it, it, one of our biggest uh, core values, which is uh, be responsive, um, kind of came out of a, a weird, uh, in a weird way where um, last year, about two years ago, when I actually stopped wearing the COO hat, moved solely into running marketing and sales and all that, that side of the company, I, I, I kind of was lost in a way. I'm like, you know, I kind of need some coaching. Like I've never, I've always done sales. You know, you take a call between seven other fires you're putting out and, and I'm like, I probably should invest in some actual training. And I went through a sales training process with, uh, with a coach and, you know, they're, they're always pulling out uh, kind of what you, what you, what separates you or what's your unique abilities and all this stuff. And, and one of the things that we came up with as a, for the company is that we're just responsive. You know, we're always trying to answer the phone, trying to get back right away. You know, there's automations you can put in place that help you make be responsive. And, and our, um, uh, res- being responsive is what was born out of that practice just a few years ago. And since then, We've actually trademarked Chicago's responsive property manager, and you know we've built a whole bunch of marketing around that. And it, you know it, it's been huge for us. So that, that's one of our, our top core values, and and being responsive. So you know when we're, when we're in the interview process, and uh, you tell people, you, I, I always like to ask the question, how many emails do you have in your inbox? <laughs> if they say a couple thousand, it's like oh, and I tell them right out, hey, listen, that's, you're not going to be a good fit here if, if you're not going to be able to stay on top of your email because whether you're being responsive to team members. Or responsible to our clients, that's going to be a big one. So that's kind of one of the core values that we've uh, uh, tied into the hiring process. No, and it makes sense. And it's one of those that, because a lot of times I'll see core values evolve and change over time, just as as the company evolves. So that's perfect example, kind of a thing right there of that as it goes through. Yeah. And then make it happen is the other, uh, or make it happen or, or um, or whatever it takes, you know, I always call it make it happen, but whatever it takes is, is kind of, you know, in property management, you run into those issues at four o'clock on Friday. That's always when it happens. A hot water heater never goes off at two in the afternoon. It always is in, in Friday night or Saturday morning and just kind of making it happen and, and, uh, and, and doing whatever it takes to figure out that problem. Sometimes you got to figure out who's going to pay for it later, but just getting the issue addressed and safety aside and, and tenant kind of happiness uh, uh, together. So that's the other big one that we we build into. And that requires, you know, sometimes uh, going the extra mile. And, and those are things we have to talk about in the interview process. Like, hey, things will come up four o'clock on a Friday and, and you're, you're going to have to deal with it till 530 on that day. I mean, are you prepared to to be a team player with that stuff? Yeah. Well, and then that's, it goes back to even saying, okay, this is your image, your your value of customer service right there. Like you were talking about, about you want, obviously your your tenants there being being happy, being is feeling like it's responsive, things like that. So that, that really got has to come through everybody, whoever's answering the phone, whoever's delivering the service, et cetera, kind of thing like that. So that's a, that's a top to bottom kind of issue, not necessarily just a, a marketing message, message right there. Yeah, no, exactly. And those are words we try to just live by in, as far as that goes. Yep. So looking forward a little bit more, what's, what's, the, what's the future of property realty look like in terms of your mind, in terms of your company right there? What's the, what's the trajectory looking at for your company? So one of the things that excites us about property management is, uh, so let's put it this way. In the United States, it ends up being about only about 35% of real estate rentals are professionally managed by a company like ours. And the other, call it 65%, is managed by self-managing. So you might have your own rental, you might handle all your own stuff. Yeah. Now, uh, you take a country like Australia, where it's completely flipped. Australia, about uh, 70, 75% is professionally managed. So you look at that, our industry, and, and our industry has, and part of that's because our industry has some of a bad rep. You know, you give a property to a property manager and, and, and they're going to they're gonna turn into to a, a 
toxic waste and, and your tenants are going to be bad and they're going to destroy your house. So, uh, you know, the, the industry has improved itself a lot in the last decade and it continues to improve itself as an actual viable service. And I think when people, people are starting to look at, you know, for your house, Jeff, we might only charge a hundred bucks a month to, to manage it. And you might spend two or three hours. So now starting to count, you know, younger generation are starting to calculate their time. Like, is it worth two or three hours to pay hundred bucks to me not have to ever think about it, deal with it. So it becomes less about the service or the risk. It becomes more about what, what can I, how can I get more time in my life back? So that's a big industry shift. Now, at the same time, you take uh, only a couple percent that go from self-managing to managing. There's not enough property managers in the country to handle that type of business, even on a, on a, on a unit basis. So the opportunity is just there uh, to grow. Now, I think when you get into your higher end A and B class type properties, uh, you know, your, uh, um, you know, your kind of uh, top grade buildings and neighborhoods, um, those have tools online that could potentially shift to more uh, tech solutions versus having a higher property manager. But when you get into the rougher C and D class type neighborhoods or, or a lot of working class type neighborhoods, uh, a property manager will be needed and technology won't. Technology won't replace us for a while, I think, on that side of things. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and really, it's, people always look at technology and say, "Well, it's going to replace people." And more than often, I see technology just honestly enhances the people, and it gives you. You still got to have the personalized customer service. You still got to have honestly somebody that answers the phone there. Probably that you don't. You don't. People don't want an automated system for that. But at the same time, if you can leverage technology to your point of saying, hey, take the two or three hour manual task of all these different steps, if you can automate some of that leverage technology there to make you more efficient, then for sure. But yeah, that's the, I guess you made the comment about saying, hey, $100 versus two or three hours of your time. And I definitely see a lot more of that, but it's even still in the business owner kind of seat to say, okay, where's it worth the the investment, the, the delegation to say hire on an assistant or whatever, because I don't know if you've seen it or you've experienced it a lot of times with the entrepreneur, we have a hard time, at least early on, giving up some of those, some of those hats, some of those pieces there and handing it off when you really look at it and say, you're spending three hours doing a marketing email here that you're not even, you're not even good at marketing kind of a thing. That's not your expertise. It's, it's worth the, the hundred bucks or whatever, whatever it costs kind of a thing to even go outsource a, a marketing agency or something like that. Has that been... Is that wouldn't be a challenge for you or have you been one of the few unique ones that don't have that issue at all? Oh, no, no. So if anything, and it's only uh, extrapolated in my mind, you know, that book that's out now, Who Not How by uh, Dan Sullivan, like, yep. that is something that, man, if I would have had that 10 years ago, I mean, we would be, uh, it would have been huge, like in that sense where I, I never um, put a value to the different tasks. I, you know, you do a lot of things as a business owner throughout the day. And you might literally go from a, a $2 an hour task to a $10 an hour task to basically the deal that could change your company's directory back to sending uh, $3 uh, uh, an hour emails. Uh, and so the putting value on your time and, and the tasks that you're doing and, and, and then delegating it, I mean, there, there's, no, uh, there's no better way to, to grow that. And especially now, we have the world that we've discovered at our company is just virtual, uh, whether it be virtual assistants or uh, virtual workers, you know, we have, uh, um, I think, 12 or 13 people that uh, help us virtually that uh, they are actually, you know, specialized in marketing. Uh, they might be specialized in marketing in Mexico, but they specialize in marketing. Um, and am I able to leverage them than me tinkering around with uh, a MailChimp uh, trying to figure that out? So the, the who is a lot easier to get a hold of these days than try, sitting there trying to figure out how, you know, you were talking about 
in, in before the show, the, the podcast, like we spent eight weeks trying to figure out how to launch a podcast. I got referred to somebody and within like eight minutes on her phone calls, she signed us up, did everything. And within three more days, we were on iTunes with some crazy, it was some crazy like time frame of like, oh my gosh, like why didn't I, I figure out that there's a who like you out there that could do this for me eight weeks ago? Like, so it's, it's stuff like that, that just kind of continues to, uh, the opportunities out there, the people out there that want to do things for you and take those things off your plate. And that, that's, there's no better way than you to just use your highest and best. It, it really is. And it's to your point, I, I think it has become a lot more available because I've seen a lot more and, and work with a lot more uh, really even at the executive level on the fractional side to say fractional sales or fractional CFO. It's like small growing business. You don't need your own in-house CFO, especially paying that kind of money, but you still could use the expertise for a few days a week or something like that kind of thing. So having those kind of fractional resources, even at that kind of executive level, all the way down to like you said, doing email marketing or doing whatever, the, the lower level task kind of a thing. There's so many resources out there these days that to me, that's the way if I was going to go start a brand new business, start over. Yeah, you'd be leveraging those anywhere and everywhere you could just because it's, it's so much more cost effective and spend your time and your expertise in your lane. So always kind of like wrapping up or coming, kind of coming back. And I know we've touched on several of these already, but looking at, say, if you could go back five, 10 years, uh, I guess it was 2003. So we're talking closer to 20 years now and start this over now. What's what's anything come to mind or any one or two things come to mind on saying, hey, if we'd just known this or tried this earlier? I think people, you know, I, I said earlier that we hired too slow, but then hiring too, we hired too slow and we hired the wrong people. <laughs> so I think uh, hiring the right people faster. And, you know, I think a lot of business owners uh, juggle the I can't afford them uh, mentality. Um, and I've always, I've learned to counter that or at least justify my own actions by saying, listen, you can hire a hundred thousand dollar employee or you can hire a $60,000 employee, but you only pay them one fifty-two dollars at a time. So if uh, 10 or 15 or 20 grand into this, uh, they don't work out or you're not seeing the value in them, then you get rid of them. And, and that was your money invested. And you probably learn a whole bunch of lessons along the way. So uh, investing in, in the right people earlier to kind of really take you to where your goals are. Now, another thing for us, we put in place, uh, um, Managing tool traction for us for kind of just managing our data, our, our you know, we on our leadership side of things, and then now our departments now run uh, that management tool, and that has been a huge way for us to really gain eh, no pun intended traction for uh, all the things that got to be done um, as a company grows. There's when you're growing your company, there's just so many shifts and so many, you know, literally people are like, ah, oh, if I try this, uh, you know, it, it might not work. And, and I always tell people, you're right, it probably won't work. So you got to try it, get past it, and then move on to the next thing. And that thing will work. So being able to pivot and move uh, just kind of takes a whole bunch of people uh, get on the same page and it takes certain meetings and levels of meetings and efficiency of meetings to be able to get all those things, get your hands around those things to get them done. Yeah, I forget what the saying was or whatever, but basically if you try something, it's a 50-50 shot of whether it's going to be right. If you don't try at all, it's a guaranteed 100% failure rate at that point kind of a thing there. So it's it's worth at least trying because, yeah, to your point, 50% of your ideas are going to fail there. But yeah. you got to go through those in order to find the other 50% that, that work. So it's business is always a, a trial and error. Unfortunately, we don't have the nobody, nobody comes up and says, here's the playbook on your property management company. Build it from scratch and just follow this playbook and you'll be completely successful. Exactly. So, so I'm curious what what got you into traction or into into looking at systems because in all reality, there's all kinds of systems. I think you'd mentioned E-Myth already before out there. So how did you, how did you land on traction or figure out, Hey, we wanted to find this one or wanted to wanted a system. Well, I think there was a kind of a, a path of books that kind of motivated me. I think the first one was E-Myth. 
that got me kind of thinking like, oh my gosh, he's so right. <laughs> and I think three or four listens to that later, you know, then I found uh, a book, uh, Work the System, which is about uh, um, a company, basically a guy that would almost push it to the end, couldn't make payroll and then realized just how to systematize things and the, the clear path of how to systemize things. So that, that was another book that kind of came into play. And then, uh, you know, just, you know, for us, we got to that point. Um, I was telling you earlier about the hub and spoke where it's like, you know, my partner, Brian came, he's like, why are things such a mess? Or why, why are things so, why is everyone, you know, everyone's running around with their heads cut off. I said, because we're, we're managing 250 properties and a million square feet of commercial. And we don't even have a, a, a system in place. We don't even have a, a process in place in writing. Like literally it's all in yours and my head. And then a couple of them have, have figured it out over the years. So, um, you know, realizing how easy it is to document certain things and, uh, and all that is kind of what pushed us towards that. And then ultimately, um, you know, getting into traction that, that just, we just realized we need some organization. I realized my meetings, I want, I, I hated my Monday morning meetings. I wanted to shoot myself like after that. And I can only imagine how everyone else in there that had, was not a true stakeholder felt having to come to my Monday morning meetings. So just understanding where we were at. And I had the wrong people in those meetings as far as, you know, we had everybody in there, you know, down from the, the guy that uh, did the, the cleaning to, uh, to the person that was supposed to run our book. So like I had the wrong even meetings running. So when we read Traction, I think that was just such a, I think that was in 16 and we implemented in 17. I think that was just such a big eye opener for us and it literally helped us really take off. Yeah. Well, I'm curious with Traction, did you, was it just purely reading the book and following it yourself or did you bring in somebody outside for that one? No. So we brought in somebody outside. Um, I'm a big believer in, uh, I'm not a big believer in self-implementation. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, you hire somebody, have them come in there, uh, help you through it. You know, there's a lot you don't know uh, and you never know what you don't know. So having someone do that. And then also means that everybody on your team can be part of the process. There's not one person that has to spend so much time trying to figure out what to do for the meeting, how the meeting's running. And the person there that's there facilitating can also kind of uh, call BS on, on people there that maybe someone else in the room is afraid to call. So, um, and even down to our quarterlies, you know, we just had our quarterly meeting and we still had a, a somebody come out and, and do that for us as well too. So I, I'm a big fan of, I think that's a huge, it's a small dollar to invest, even though it looks like big on paper for what you end up taking away from that one day or two day event. Yeah, it really is. And it was interesting. I was just actually reviewing another podcast episode and he was talking about more of a board of directors type, but it's like that, that mentality, most times as the entrepreneur, we've got the, the shiny object syndrome kind of a thing there. Oh, let's go try this. Let's go try that. And when you've got to go report that or explain that to somebody else and they, you've got to justify, hey, why did we make this decision or why do you want to go purchase that extra thing? All of a sudden, it, it, it gives you kind of that, that gut check right there to say, hey, this is not just we've actually got a plan here. We want to stick to our plan. We want to stick to our, our, our annual goals right there that we're trying to meet these goals. And OK, it's what we're working on right now with our our rock in uh, traction terms kind of a thing here. Is that on the right track and moving the right direction? So it, having that kind of structure and having that outside accountability really helps. I, I've seen drive things forward a lot more that it's, it's always interesting. The, the companies I walk into that are trying to self-implement is like, well, you got a few of the concepts down. You kind of understand a little bit of the terminology. You're way off in left field though, because you didn't understand that aspect or whatever of it. Yeah. So I think one thing that we've really learned in the recent years too, is just that's a, a form of training, the investment back into training where that five or seven or whatever it might cost to, or 10, whatever it might cost to uh, have someone in there. That's such a small price in the overall revenue that you're trying to build uh, a company for. And uh, another thing about traction I realized is, uh, you know, I think entrepreneurs, uh, I'll use this word loosely, you know, ADD or, or short attention span or shiny syndrome, 
that 90 days to be able to, to say, this is the stuff I have to get done in nine days. And the next 90 days, we'll figure it out based on our year goals. I think that's such a huge thing for entrepreneurs because we're all, you know, after 90 days, you get bored of something, you, you move on to something else. So I think it, it really helps kind of reel you in every 90 days. Yeah, it really does. It helps keep people focused for sure. It's it's just getting that shorter time frame because a lot of times you'll look at your one year or even your three to five year kind of goal. And then it almost goes back to our school days. You, you get the, the the assignment for the paper. Nobody starts working on it. You can write up until the night before kind of a thing. And you look at that big that big goal out there for business and say, how the heck are we going to approach this? How, how are we going to eat the elephant at that point? So yeah, breaking it back down to the 90 days is, is really critical just to, okay, don't worry about the big picture. Just get this first step done. And it it gets you the traction. That's that's where the name comes from there. But yeah, it's, it's really beneficial there for sure. So I appreciate all the insight, appreciate all the, the wisdom there. And it's always, like I said, always fun to talk to other business leaders. Um, if people are looking interested more in your yourself, your journey or the, the realty market, what's what's the best place to go about finding you? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I have our website, uh, gcrealtyinc.com, or you could download our podcast at Straight Up Chicago, Straight Up Chicago Investor, which you can find on iTunes or at straightupchicagoinvestor.com. You know, hopefully you'll have my uh, email or contact in show notes. You know, I'm always, you know, I have the mindset of, uh, you know, everything I messed up on, I'm always willing to help uh, other people not mess up on, or at least uh, avoid as big as mess ups as I did. So I have a lot to add. If anyone ever wants to reach out or if anyone ever wants to contact, I'll always give you my time. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, I, I love that kind of give back mentality because it's really, do I, does anybody really consider themselves an expert or if they do, they probably shouldn't, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, there's, there's always going to be somebody that's two or three steps behind that they could learn from even just a little bit there. So I appreciate the offer. That's, that's great. That's definitely what we're looking for. So I appreciate the time. Appreciate the insight again. And yeah, we'll definitely get all the, all the contact information here in the show notes right below. So appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.